We're still waiting for the flying cars of the future, but our ancestors would be blown away by the wild wonderfulness that is the World Wide Web. There'll be no need for the worker in the factory of the future. A new age is coming, which brings with it the promise of a free and prosperous future. And after all, wasn't life meant to be easy? Log into your computer or unlock your smartphone and the world is at your fingertips. I'll take it. Please send it out to me. Here's my credit card. Oh, and don't forget the striped pillowcases. The internet has transformed our lives, but sometimes things get more complicated and confusing too. You know, at least when you're home, if the phone rings, you have the option of not answering it. On the internet, people can send you messages all the time, people you don't even want to hear from. In our upcoming Interfaces sermon series, we'll tackle the big questions of online life and look at how we can be Jesus-looking people in our digital world. Have your robot butler set a reminder and make sure you join us. With the A and then the ring around it? At. See, that's what I said. Mm -hmm. um, Katie said she thought it was about. What is that little squiggly thing there? I don't quite know what that means. How you doing this morning, Little Hills? Well, you're looking marvelous. You're sounding marvelous. It's, uh, my name is Greg. If you're visiting here for the first time, Greg Boyd, and I'm a teaching pastor here. It's good to be back. Thanks to Dan for doing such a great job last week. I mean, I, I'd say it was okay, huh? B, maybe B+. Plus. Well, I really appreciate your insight, brother. Nothing like pointing somebody out and humiliating him in front of everybody. Let's have everyone grade Dan, all right? Uh, he started a, a, a short series that we're, we're doing here. Um, and it just strikes me right now. We, it's a series on, on living generously and confronting the things that get us stuck. And it just occurred to me this morning that our timing wasn't necessarily perfect on this. Because probably some of the folks that I would like most to hear this message are at their cabins this weekend. <laughs> Since this is Labor Day. So we should have timed it a little better. But hopefully they're listening through podcasts. We have our pod listeners and, and all those folks. So... Glad you tuned in. Better late than never. Let's get to it. So uh, I want to talk about two obstacles, two things that we can get stuck in that prevent us from really growing and maturing in our capacity to be uh, outrageous givers, just with our time and resources. Uh, the first one has to do with, I think, it has to do with motivation. And some of us, I think, have gotten stuck in a poor motivation when it comes, a poor motivation associated with giving. Uh, and to get at that, I've got to talk about Everyone's favorite word, tithing. Oh, by the way, uh, is that your favorite word? I don't think so. But um, yeah, so I, I got a little, uh, I'm still, I, two weeks ago I mentioned I tweaked my back being an idiot on vacation, thinking I could throw my kids around like I could when I was 30. And so I've had this tweak back. It's getting better. Thanks. I appreciate that. Uh, but still a little stiff. So I, 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 sitting's nicer than standing. But could I ask like five or 10 people just to be praying for me during this message, be praying for the message? And you're praying that the, this knife in my back goes away, or at least isn't such so much of a distraction. Okay, so if you're waiting to, I need like four people on the side. Raise your hands and keep me covered in prayer. I got that. Ten people in the middle here. Okay, I got that. And five people over here. I'm sure I got more than enough. Okay, I feel covered. Uh, you see, the truth is that what's going to happen here in the next 30, 40 minutes, this message, it's not just about me bringing something to you. We are together, we are together hearing the word and asking the word to come in here. And, and the Bible tells us that, Paul says, pray for me that I may speak the word of God boldly and, and succinctly. Uh, and, and, and so be praying for me uh, that this comes across, that the Holy Spirit opens up hearts. It, it's, it's a collective effort here, folks. We're in this together. Amen? Amen? All right. So the tithing thing. If you've come from a traditional background, I'm sure you've heard this probably more than you care to. 
Uh, it's, it's this doctrine that says that every Christian is obliged to give 10% of their income uh, to the church. Uh, and that's 10% of the gross, not the net. The church I came from, a real big deal of that. You're robbing God if you take it from the net. No, it's got to come out of the gross. 10%. doesn't matter how much you make. doesn't matter where you're at in life. No matter. 10%. It's got to come this way. And if you don't give that 10%, you are robbing God. How many of you have heard sermons about robbing God? Yeah, I, I'm, yeah. A lot of us. So here's how you rob God. It says this in Malachi chapter 3. You guys know the verse. Will anyone rob God? Would anyone be so stupid as to rob God? It's kind of the connotation of this. He says, yet you are robbing me. And he asks, how are we robbing you? Well, God says, you're in, in your tithes and offerings, you are cursed with a curse. You are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse. And even as I say that, bring the full tithe into the storehouse, I can remember the preacher so clearly. Oh, the Bible says bring the full tithe into the storehouse, doesn't he? He says bring full tithe into the storehouse, doesn't he? Does he say part of your tithe? Does he say a portion of your tithe? A fraction of your tithe? No, the full tithe. My Bible says full tithe. Everybody say full. All right. I get it. This is how he preached it. And if you're not bringing in the full tithe, 9% or 8% or whatever percent you're dealing with, you're robbing God, and, and that means the curse is going to be upon you. Do you want a curse to come upon you and your family? Do you want a curse to come upon your nation? Here, he says, if you're robbing God, well, this curse is going to come upon you and your nation. Dun, 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 dun. And so, this is how it's preached usually. There's a 10% requirement. Everyone's supposed to give the same thing. Now, I am not a fan of this tax doctrine. Um, I want to say that I am okay. If you are a fan, that's fine. I... I, I, I. But see, here, I would love if, if everyone committed 10% of their income to, to Woodland Hills or 10% to just be given away to wherever God leads them. That'd be great. Feel free, 10% to the church, that's wonderful. But I don't want anyone doing it because there's a gun to their head and a law that says you've you got to have a 10% or you're going to get zapped by God. That's not New Testament motivation. And the New Testament motivation is everything. Why you do what you do is, is everything. Um, so I'm not a fan of, of this doctrine. I think it really hinders people because, as you're going to see here in a moment, it, it gets us in a, there's a world of difference between when you're thinking about doing something out of a love relationship and when you're thinking about doing so, something to make a percentage point. World of difference. Uh, so here's the thing. So the, the tithe in ancient Israel, it was, their, it was one third of their tax. They had to give 30% of their income to the authorities. And uh, ten, one third of that, 10%, went to um, uh, the temple and to supporting the Le Levitical priesthood and to running the sacrificial system. That's what the, t the tithe was for. It was a tax required of all Israeli citizens. But see, last I checked, there hasn't been a temple for about 2,000 years, hasn't been a sacrificial system for about 2,000 years, hasn't been a Levitical priesthood for 2,000 years, so why would God need my taxes to support it? It's been gone for 2,000 years. We're dealing with here an old covenant thing, not a new covenant thing. Uh, Paul tells us that the law was here for a purpose. It was needed at a point in humanity's development to drive us or to lead us to Christ. So Paul says this in Galatians 3. Uh, he says, the law was our guardian until Christ came that we might be justified by faith. And the law, the understanding is that you're justified by compliance, by your behavior. But Paul says, no, the law was a guardian 
to lead us to Christ so we can be justified by faith. And now that this faith has come, we're no longer under a guardian. According to Paul, the law was there. One of the primary purposes of the law wasn't to show us how we can be rightly related to God. It was to show us how we can't be rightly related to God and how we can't be related to a law-centered deity. And so as a guardian, it leads us up to Christ to show us our need for a Savior. It, it demonstrates to any person who's got a, an ounce of self-honesty the impossibility of ever perfectly complying with the law and therefore the impossibility of being rightly related to God on this basis. The law does that and serves us in that way. It exposes sin. It intensifies sin, Paul says. But in doing that, it points us to Jesus Christ because it shows us that we need a Savior. And now that the Savior has come, and now that we know the Savior, the guardian has served his purpose. It can be retired. It needs to be retired. We're no longer under the guardian. We don't do things with the same motivation that people did when they were under the guardian. Um, and, and so the, the author of Hebrews, in Hebrews 8, he says about the law, he says the very fact that the Bible refers to a new covenant shows that the old covenant was obsolete. And the word obsolete there means no longer of use. That's what the word means, no longer of use. So the law, as good as it was, it's no, it's no longer of use. Because see, the reason is God has put his own spirit in our hearts and he's written his own law on our hearts. And, and, and he calls us to be motivated by an internal drive rather than this external thing. We're no longer under the guardian, praise God. We're in the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. And, and, and so our motivation isn't to be done from an external pressure sort of thing. It rather comes from an internal thing, a desire, a compelling on the inside. This idea that you have a, a percentage that applies to all. The sort of Jesus tax, we could call it. Uh, that idea, it goes against the very spirit of the New Testament, I submit to you. Uh, l listen to what Paul says. He, he, he's here talking to a congregation about taking up an offering. Uh, and if there was any kind of required percentage, this might have been a good place for Paul to mention it, though Paul never mentions a required percentage. Here's what Paul says, a portion of what he says. He says, hey, keep on praying, man. It's feeling good. It's feeling better. Yeah, it's better. The point is this. Keep praying. The one who sows sparingly, because I consider sitting a speech impairment. I need to walk. You know, this is how you, you, you think and you talk. You, sitting down is like, Ugh. So the point is this. The one who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And the one who sows bountifully, bountifully will also reap bountifully. This is God's economic plan. He wants to bless you. But he blesses you not to bless, just to bless you, but so that you can be a blessing to others. And the more you learn how to bless others, the more he's going to bless you to bless others. That's God's economy. Sooner or later, everything you pour out, everything you give away, everything you sacrifice, comes back on you. That's the promise of God. In fact, it comes back on you tenfold or hundredfold, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, it overflows. God will always outgive you. Maybe not necessarily in the short run. Maybe not necessarily financially. But you show me a person who's learned the joy of giving, who's learned the joy of blessing others, they'll tell you that when you bless and even kind of go to the edge of what you're capable of to bless others, it comes back on you a million different ways. There's joy in giving. <laughs> That's really where the great joy is to be found, when you live in that mode. And so, so, so Paul is here talking about fundamental motivations. And he says, he says, he says that, oh, i got to read the second half of this. Each of you must give up, give as you have been made. Have you, let's start from the start. Each of you must give as you have made up your mind, not reluctantly or under compulsion. Not reluctantly or under compulsion because God loves a cheerful giver. A cheerful giver. So Paul first lays out the economic plan. And we're supposed to live, live in this, knowing that the purpose for getting blessed isn't just to enjoy it, 
but it's also to be a blessing to others. Sharing is built into the DNA of the kingdom because the kingdom reflects God, and God's all about sharing. And, 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 and so that's wired in to the, the, the nature of the kingdom. Um, and so Paul says here that the giving is supposed to be, everyone has to make up their own mind about it. Now the fact that you, he says, you have to resolve this in your mind. You have to think about this. Already tells you that he's not thinking about any kind of percentage point. If there was a 10% tax that all were supposed to give, Paul could just say this, hey, don't think about it, just obey, 10%. In fact, that's what a lot of us were taught. 10%, why? Shut up, obey. Here Paul says, think about it, you think about it. So it's not a one-size-fits-all. This is a you, you in relationship with God kind of a thing going on here. And so, so he says that uh, it's to be done not out of compulsion, but as you've made up your mind. It means that, folks, in the kingdom, uh, there should be no place for any exertion of external stuff to compel people to give. The compelling has got to come from God in the heart. It's not the job of a preacher or a church or a deacon board or anyone else to try to compel people to give by using kind of external pressure uh, or subtle innuendos. If you're a real Christian, you blah, 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 blah. True Christian, blah, blah, blah. And they try to shame you or cajole you or manipulate you into giving more. If you ever find yourself in an environment like that, I really encourage you to get out. Because that's not kingdom motivation. Manipulation is not of God. Conniving is not of God. Pressure and shame is not of God. What's of God is you say, here's a need. Talk to God about it and give accordingly. That's the way the kingdom does. Because God loves a cheerful giver. Doesn't want it reluctantly or under compulsion. No pressure. No manipulation. Between you and God. And the fact that he says you have to make up your mind, now listen to this, means that you have to make up your mind. If you're a spouse, you have to make up your collective mind. Sometimes small groups do this, where they make up their collective mind about these sorts of things. You have to resolve in your heart, what is it, that how would God have you steward his resources? It means that you plan for it. To make up your mind means you're thinking about it. You're scheduling it in. You're budgeting it in. It means that you're not waiting for the last moment and checking the wall and saying, oh, gee, I have $2 left today, I'll give that. Whatever else it means to seek first the kingdom of God, it's got to mean that we don't give God our leftovers, amen? Uh, it, 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 if something's important to you, you plan for it, you budget for it, you structure it. If we're called to seek first the kingdom of God, this should be really high, if not it's high, the highest on our priority list. And the question we go to God with is simply this, uh, how would you have me steward your resources? He wants a cheerful giver, not something reluctant, not, not under compulsion. Cheerful does not mean it doesn't hurt. Any kind of kingdom giving is going to pinch. It's going to hurt. Because the kingdom starts, as I often say around here, the kingdom always reflects Calvary, and it begins with your first drop of blood. It's all about self-sacrifice. So it's when there's a sacrifice that's being made, that's, that's the kingdom currency right there. And, and it's going to pinch. You have to modify your life a little bit or say no to things that you'd like to get on your own. There's, there's going to be some self-negation there. That's the very definition of the kingdom. So yes, there's a pinch. There ought to be a pinch. If you're not feeling a pinch, well then go to God and ask him, are you, are you really giving all you're supposed to be giving? Because it's supposed to feel like a pinch. Um, schedule it in. But you do it as you've made up your mind. And it's going to hurt. But you do it because you want to. Yes, it pinches you. Yes, maybe it's an inconvenience. Maybe you're sacrificing a lot. 
But the reason you're doing isn't because there's some rule over your head that tells you that that's what you're supposed to do. You do it because it's in your heart. You see the beauty of Jesus and the beauty of what Jesus is doing here. You want in on the action, you know? And, 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 and there's a, when you surrender your life to Christ, the Spirit of God is in you, pulling you in that direction. And there's a yes there. It even kind of becomes a compelling force in there. But it's not external, it's internal. And the kingdom, our giving, has got to be motivated by the internal work of the Spirit, what he's doing in our heart, not by some external pressure. Because see, in the New Testament, folks, Giving is never associated with a percentage point. Well, there's one exception to that, and that's in Matthew 23 when Jesus confronts the Pharisees, and he says, you tithe, and that's well and good, but you you neglect the weightier matters of the law. And a lot of preachers have gotten a lot of mileage out of Jesus saying, you tithe, well, that's all well and good. A lot of mileage there. But see, here's the thing. Um, He's talking to Pharisees. Pharisees are Jews, and Jews were under the Old Covenant, and under the Old Covenant, you're supposed to tithe. So, of course, Jesus would say, good that you're tithing. That's what you do under the Old Covenant. But we are not under the Old Covenant. And Jesus never says this to Gentiles, nor does Paul or anyone else ever say this to Gentiles. It never gets brought up again. So it seems to me to be rather arbitrary to look back on the 613 laws of the Old Testament, including don't wear wool and cotton together because it's an abomination of God. Look at all the 613 laws, and here's one that you'd like to apply today. Tithing! You rip it up, and you use it as a doctrine. But why? What's the justification of that? Well, one thing is it gives job security and income insecurity to the preachers. That's why I'm okay with you disagreeing with me on this. Feel free. (laughs) But folks, it's, it's, it's an arbitrary thing. In the New Testament, giving is not a got to thing. It's not something that you got to do. It's something that you get to do. It's never associated with a percentage point. I want my 10%. Come on, cough it up. If you get 9%, I'm going to curse you 1%. How's that? No, it's totally foreign to the spirit of the New Testament. That's how the New Testament, when it talks about giving, it talks about joy. It talks about fullness. It talks about opportunity. It it, it talks about a privilege. It's not a got-to thing. It's a get-to thing. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5 that it's the love of Christ that compels us. There's a compelling that goes on. There's an obligation that's there, but it's not put on you by someone outside of you. Rather, the Spirit is put, pulling you in that direction. And so Paul says, man, the love of Christ compels me because I know that if one died for all, then all have died. And Paul sees the beauty of who Jesus is and the beauty of all that Jesus is doing. And Paul says, I want in on that. I want to be a co-partner that helps beautify the world through Jesus Christ. And that love that he saw, that beauty that he saw, pulled him in this direction where he was willing to sacrifice everything. He just gave it away and he counted it all joy. Why? Because it's moving him in the direction of beauty that he wants to be moving. Amen? He loves a cheerful giver, a, 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 a chill for giver, a cheerful giver. Oh, those chivers are just terrible this time. You ever think? I always get those terrible chivers. Don't like, we rebuke the chivers. See, in the kingdom, our motivation is, 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 is love, not fear. It's got to be joy, not threats. We're motivated by a get to do, not a got to do. We get to. We're invited. God invites us to be poured out towards God. Uh, see, this is why we, at Woodland Hills, we, we don't talk about uh, fractions or percentage points or you know, what you ought to be giving. Uh, you got to go to God on that. What I want to do, instead of talking about what you should be giving, is 
introduce people to a beautiful, beautiful Savior and a beautiful, beautiful kingdom and the beautiful thing that God is doing in this world and the beautiful invitation where God says, hey, you want to join me on this? Because you, you, you get in on this and you start joining this. You get in this program. You see, you be, the more you see the beauty of Jesus that I shared a couple weeks ago, the more you see that beauty, the more you become that beauty. And the more you become that beauty, the more you see that beauty. You're on this roll here. And the more you see the beauty and are motivated by the beauty and are motivated by that love, the freer you are from any kind of external pressure, external constraints. The more you're doing things because it's in your heart to do them. You're becoming this. You see, it's part of who you are. And now you're learning the joy of giving, the joy of being poured out for another. The thing is, is, is when you got a got to, if there's a got to in your head, it's going to suck the joy out of your get to. If you've got a got to in your head about this, and a lot of people do when it comes to money, well then it's, it's going to... Rob you of your ability, talk about robbing God, it's going to rob you of the joy of learning how to get to give something. Uh, there's a world of difference between the two. It only takes a little got to do to completely ruin a get to do. So it's like this. Uh, last Friday, a couple of days ago, we were having some guests over. And um, we usually, if it's a nice night, we like to sit out on, on, on a, a deck that we have. And I use the deck during the day if the weather's nice. That's where I study and do my work and stuff. So I leave it kind of messy. Shelly doesn't like it when people come over and our house is all messy. And so she'll always ask me ahead of time to clean up the deck. Which as a good obedient husband, I always do. But this last Friday, I thought of it ahead of time. I don't know why a miracle happened, but it's like, I should clean up the deck. And I noticed it was particularly messy. I, had, I hadn't cleaned up for a couple of days, and it's like, oh, it's all everywhere. So I thought, I should clean up the deck without her having to ask me. That would surprise her. That would make her happy. I love to make her happy. Uh, and she'd realize what a great husband I am, and who knows where it would go from there. So there's, there's always a little self-interest. You know? <laughs> bottom line is always the bottom line. No. But see, I wanted to do that. It would have been fun. It would have been great fun. But then just as I'm getting ready to do it, she asked me to do it. It's like, shoot! Oh, I shouldn't do that. <laughs> Hang on. Uh, it's like wrath, because I wanted to surprise you and, and, and make you proud of me. But now, now, now I gotta do it, because you told me to. And the gotta do sucks the joy out of the get to do. You can't both gotta do it and get to do it. It's one or the other. This is why, by the way, revelation moment. Why grace and the law, one of the reasons why grace and law are so antithetical. Because, see, the law is all about what you got to do. And love is always about what you get to do. Huh? Right, man? And, and, and it only takes one got to do to ruin a get to do. Uh, folks, in the kingdom, we get to do this. We are invited. We get to be the hands and feet of Jesus. We get to pool our resources and sacrifice together to see God do beautiful things for us. That's, a, that's not a got to do. That's a get to do. We get to change lives, man. How many people can say that? We pull our resources. We get to make an eternal difference on what happens. Our, our kingdom stuff, every, every act that is in line with the cross, causes a ripple effect that goes on throughout eternity. We get to have a life that matters, that makes an eternal difference. Uh, we get to have a purpose in life. You know how many people would give all that they have to have a purpose in life? Well, we got it right here. Uh, this is what gives our life meaning. We get to partner with God. We get to be the hands and feet of Jesus who feed the poor and can shelter in the homeless and provide clothing for those who are naked, praise God. We get to do that. That's not a God to do thing. That's a privilege. That's a wonderful opportunity. We get to sacrifice to see at-risk kids get some employment opportunities and job training skills and life skills and after-school mentoring. It's our collective sacrifice that does that. 
All the things we do around here, we get to help people get off the street. We get to try out tiny homes and, and getting people into tiny homes. That's a privilege. We get to give to that. And everything that we give will come back at us sooner or later a hundredfold. But it's an opportunity and it's a privilege and it's a joy to, to know the beauty of God, to know the beautiful stuff he's doing in the world and that we get invited to be part of it. He calls us his co-workers. He gives us that dignity. Our lives count, praise God. This isn't a got-to thing. This is a get-to thing. It's not a threat thing. It's a joy thing. It's not a bondage thing. It's a freedom thing. And when we're doing that, see, folks, we're dancing in, in, in the light of the triune God. That's the kingdom of God right there. So check your mind. I, I, I understand if you have a, a got-to mindset because in our country, at least, listeners apply it as it fits, but in America, we are systematically conditioned to associate money with got-to. The only reason we ever get rid of it, according to the indoctrination of the culture, we get rid of it only because we've got to. I need a car, so I've got to spend this money. I need an apartment, so I've got to spend this much money. Or oh, I need a new shirt, I've got to spend this much money. i got to, got to, got to. You only give it up when you got to. That's how we're conditioned. And you don't want to give up more than you have to. You want to hang out as much as possible. Fundamental message of our culture. Uh, see, in, in that, so then when you come to thinking about giving in church, your mind can instantly go to a got to. Oh, okay, I got to. Bucket's being passed around. I guess I got to. Or you set up an account, I got to. It gets filed under a got-to rather than a get-to. So it gets filed under uh, shucks rather than a yay. And it's an automatic thing. You're not trying to do that. It's just how we're conditioned. So search your mind right now. When, when you think about giving to church or giving to others, sacrificing of what you have for others, is there a, I, I guess I got to? Yeah, I should. I suppose. All right. Or is there a, I get to be used. I get to have this. And if, if you're in the got-to camp, I encourage you to explore the possibility, in fact, I, I think probably the certainty, that you've got a portrait of God in your head. Maybe it's a re residual remain from what you formerly used to be. But see, it takes a lot of time for our brains to integrate new ideas and new concepts. And what you've got in your brain, I'm afraid, is a picture of God. At least on occasion, when you think of money or giving, what gets triggered is a picture of God who doesn't motivate you with get to, he motivates you with got, got to. A God who is going to try to get you to do something on the basis of a threat. You don't want to have a curse coming on your life, rather than on the basis of an opportunity. And this will help you grow and, all, and, and the joy that's involved in that. And when you locate that picture of God, you just make this very important decision, one of the most important decisions you can make. And that is you resolve in your heart that you're going to believe the God who is revealed, fully revealed, in Jesus Christ crucified. Choose to believe it. And then choose to come against whatever in your brain disagrees with that. Choose to believe that God is as beautiful as God is revealed to be on the cross. Choose to re you know, Jesus, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. It was the joy set before him. Even what he did, he did out of joy. Not of some kind of ought to, should to. It was in his heart. He saw what it would produce. So also, would it be people who are driven by a vision that leads to an internal, I get to be part of this. I get to share in this joy. And so if you've got a got-to kind of a deity looking around in your, in, in your brain somewhere, I encourage you to bring every thought captive to Christ, every picture of God captive to Christ, every feeling, every intuition captive to Christ. Resolve that Jesus Christ is Lord. And anything that disagrees with that, put it aside. Because see, only when you can do that, only when you get free of the got-to mindset will you ever begin to dance into the get-to mindset and discover the joy of giving, which is the deepest joy, I think, that, that, that has afforded us this side of eternity. 
Set it aside, believe in God. Gaze on his beauty, as I always repeat around here, gaze on his beauty because as you gaze on his beauty, spend time with God and ask the Spirit to help you see God and experience God in all of God's beauty. As you see that, you're transformed into that. And the more you're transformed into that, the more you have a capacity to see it. And the greater your capacity to see it, the more you're transformed into it. And now you're going in the kingdom economy and you're going in the right direction. Hallelujah. Amen. All right. Amen. Okay, that's point number one. Now, a little more quickly, point number two. <laughs> this, one's really, this one's huge, you guys. We get stuck in this. And uh, resolve that you put the kingdom. Right now, I'd like everyone to resolve that the kingdom uh, is, has more authority in our life, has absolute authority in life, and not the culture, because I'm going to go after something that is so culturally fundamental it could be offensive. Where we get stuck is we think we, think we own things. And I know there's a bunch of people out there who say, oh, boy, it's a communist. Let's look. we got a great quote here. <laughs> Listen to what Jesus says here, folks. Um, this is so foundational. Now, large crowds were traveling with him, and he turned and said to them, whoever comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even life itself, cannot be my disciple. <laughs> whoever does not carry the cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. And sums it all up a few verses later when he says, So therefore, none of you can become my disciple if you do not give up all your possessions. <laughs> Imagine the crowd reacted to Jesus pretty much the way you just reacted. <laughs> like, what? Say what? Uh, so here's Jesus. There's a cr large crowd. You know, word got out about how he's healing these people and freeing people and blah, 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 blah. And everyone wants in on that action. So the big crowd follows him. Oh, hail, Hosanna, Hosanna. What a great guy. Jesus sees this and apparently thinks it's time to thin out the crowd a little bit. So he announces this declaration. Hey, all you folks. Hope you're having a wonderful day and a good time. But here's what you got to know. If you want to be my disciple, you're going to have to hate mother and father, wife, children, everything for my sake. Now, every Jew would know that he's talking hyperbole here, right? Using exaggeratory language. He, he's not violating the first, he's not telling people to violate the, the commandment to love your mother and dad. But he is saying that to follow Jesus, your allegiance to Jesus and the kingdom has got to dwarf in significance every other allegiance. It's as though the, the difference is between love and hate. Uh, following Jesus means he's, he has priority over everything. But it's not a very popular message. Certainly not the way Jesus taught it here. And then he says, take up your cross, which everyone in the first century knows is an execution device. It's not a little, little piece of jewelry. Uh, no, this is, this is like a guillotine. This is a death symbol. You've you, you got to be willing to face death, Jesus is saying, if you're going to follow me. But then what interests me is when he says, I mean, Jesus would, I would love, I would pay to see Jesus attend a church planters conference on how to, how to, how to grow a church. That would be really interesting, don't you think, at this conference? Because I tell you, there's not a church planting ministry in the, in the world that would take Jesus on. What kind of guy has a huge crowd? We would say, oh, what a success, success. I got a huge following. And you turn around and say that. That's like, it. whoa, that Jesus knows how to smooth talk, man. He knows how to work the crowd. He's a smooth politician. He knows how to win over people, influence people, make friends. Oh, yeah, he's, he's really a smooth talker. Go let the dead bury the dead. <laughs> Hate your mom and dad. You can't be my disciple. Lose all possessions. <laughs> now, immediately, what does that mean, lose all your possessions? Give up all your possessions. What does that mean? What it means is, wait for it, wait for it. Give up all your possessions. <laughs> There's no loophole here, folks. I, I, I checked the Greek. Couldn't find a snaggle way out of it. Dang. 
There is this consideration though, okay? So, so this is a non-negotiable. You gotta give up all your possessions. What's interesting is that Jesus and his disciples didn't go around preaching in the nude. Did you ever notice that? <laughs> Except once Jesus was resurrected, he apparently was resurrected in the nude because he left all his clothing in, in, the, in, the, in the cave. They, they found it there, so what was Jesus wearing? What? Why, why do you, don't let your mind go there. I'm making a point here. Okay, so they didn't preach in the nude. And you see why that's significant? It means they had stuff. They had stuff to cover their bodies. Um, we also know that they, some of them had purses. Some of them had staffs. Some of them, two of them at least, carried a sword. Um, they went back to their house at times. And they even kept their boats and fishing nets. Because they went back to fishing once Jesus got crucified. So they had stuff. And Jesus often stayed at people's houses and, and ate the food set before them. And never once does he talk about like, oh, you shouldn't have this. So apparently, not owning stuff, not possessing it, is not the same as, as having stuff. All right? There's two different things. You can have stuff, but Jesus is saying, don't, call, don't, don't, don't say that it's yours. Don't call it mine. Don't put that label on it. Um, you, can, you can enjoy stuff, but don't think that it's yours. Because see, if we are surrendered to Jesus, our whole self has got to be surrendered to Jesus, which means all that we have and own has got to be surrendered to Jesus, which means we don't really own it. It's rather is owned by him. So whatever house God allows you to enjoy, that's wonderful, but, but know that that's, that's not your house, that's his house. That nice car that you got, or two cars, or maybe it's just a motorbike, whatever, but you'd enjoy that if God lets you enjoy that, but know that uh, that's not your bike, that's his. Uh, oh, those shoes, those are, are God's too, and the, all the clothes you're wearing actually belong to God. Um, every advantage that you have, you're good at this, you're good at that. Well, that, even that belongs to God because he's the one who gave it to you. John tells us that, that, that we have nothing that we did not receive, which is why bragging is so stupid because you didn't do anything to earn that, right? You just got blessed with it, so you should be grateful but not boastful about it. Um, everything we have is, re is received, and what God wants is for us to acknowledge that and give it back to him and submit it under his lordship. Um, even your health and even your family, even your loved ones, you enjoy them, but don't cling to them. Don't put, they're, they're not yours to possess. The house is not yours to possess. The car, clothes, whatever you have, whatever nice things you've been blessed with, wonderful, but they're not yours. They belong to God. And see, what, what happens is when we have this concept of ownership, and it's so fun, capitalism runs on ownership, right? And I'm not saying, speaking of the end of capitalism, I don't care what the world does. I'm talking about us, what our attitude should be. And see, this idea of owning is destructive to us. It's unnatural. We're made in the image of God. And, and see, when we think we own something, um, it becomes sort of an extension of us. What does it mean to own something? Think about this. It's like you and I go to, we, we, let's say we went to a car dealer this afternoon, and we're both going to buy a new car. Yay. We buy nice, cool cars. We drive off the parking lot. Now, I don't care what happens to your car. If someone scratches your car, I don't care because it's not my car. But if, if I'm really into cars, and I got a really nice car, and someone scratches my car, well, now I'm pretty, pretty mad. <laughs> uh, okay, we can say pissed here, I think. Uh, no, because someone scratched your car, that's a value to you, you see? So you've got a connection with your car that you don't have with that other person's car. Part of you is in the car. It's got part of you. And if the car gets scratched, that hurts you. And so it is for everything we possess. A part of us is out there. And if a part of us is out there and is invested in all these things that we think we own, 
Well, then guess where our brain's going to be? Guess where our treasure's going to be? Guess where our mind's going to be? Guess where our worry's going to be? We're always monitoring this, all right? Too much is at stake in all of this. This was never God's design. We're not supposed to have our identity in stuff that we think we own. All of our identity, we sang about it earlier, all of our identity and all the needs are supposed to be met in our relationship with Jesus Christ. If we have him, then we have all we need, right? And so all we do is supposed to come out of the center of that. The last thing we should be doing is identifying with or having stakes in our identity located in things that we have around us. Uh, that, that is a life-sucking proposition. It's unnatural. It was never supposed to be that way. This idea of mind is the source of all of our, all of our anxiety, or at least almost all the anxiety, because the anxiety is about what is yours and what you might lose and what you need to have and we, oh, all those kind of questions. These are all anxiety. If you think it through, it's the source of all the conflict in this world. Because see, if I, when I say mine, I'm saying it's mine, not yours. And trouble is when you say it's yours, you're saying it's not mine. And what really complicates things is we have conflicting interests and sometimes we want the same thing and we collide over that. And so the domain of mine clashes with the domain of yours and now we got problems. And if I identify with my country, then my country goes to war with your country, we got problems. And my party or my ideology, whatever it is you're identifying with, if it stands over and against others, well, now we got problems. All because we're finding our identity in, 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 in things. Jesus cuts to the root of this idolatry, this thing that is behind all the violence and wars and ugliness and jealousy. Think about it. When you're jealous or envious or, or, or clinging for something, it's because you think it's mine or your mind's being threatened or you want more of mine. And this is, this is the root of the evil that afflicts our world as it spins round and round. The reform that Jesus brings, the reframe that Jesus brings is this. The question is not how much of what you have should you give to God and to his kingdom. If you're asking that question, you're asking the wrong question. That's already got you into a got-to mentality. How much do you have to give? Jesus reframes the whole thing when he says have no possessions. Because what he's saying there is... is is um, you, you, it's, it all belongs to him. You're never, we're never allowed to cling. And he does that not just for the sake of the kingdom, but because this, folks, is what sets us free. When you cling to something, it clings to you. You think you're owning it, but it is owning you. So can you enjoy it and love it and whatever? If God, if God allows that, that's wonderful. But if you think it's mine, well, you think your fingers are on it, but its tentacles are on you. And we end up, that stuff just sucks life right out of us. Sucks the kingdom of joy right out of us. Jesus says the only way to avoid that is be hands-free. Live with your palms wide open. Yeah, you've got a nice house or maybe an apartment, whatever. If God lets you have that, then enjoy that. But don't cling to it. And that car of yours, don't cling to it. The clothes of yours, don't cling to it. There's nothing of you that you should be clinging to except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And when you have Jesus, you've got all that you need. Everything else is extra. That's why Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God and all this stuff will be added unto you. Just trust God for that. All right. The last word I want to say to is this. And some of us struggle with this because I've spoken with you about it. Uh, if God says, if, if you, the crucial thing is to submit everything before God, and, and if God says, here's, I want you to enjoy this, and I want you to enjoy that, and I want you to enjoy that, then enjoy it. Now, you have to really be honest as you're seeking to discern God's will about the stuff that you think you own, that he lets you to, stuff that belongs to him, but he lets you to take, take residence in and, and, and to steward it. Um, uh, and, and so here God is giving this, all, this, this stuff to us, 
And the, the whole goal of it is for us to surrender back to him and be dancing in this love of the triune God. Okay, that, that's the, the goal of the whole thing. And, and, and so when God says you can have something, enjoy it. I used to feel guilty for everything I had that someone else didn't have. And some of you struggle with that same thing. I've gone through periods where I, if I, until I'm kind of at the lowest rung, the, the lowest common denominator, I'm going to feel guilty. Because why should I have this when others don't have that? And so you want to give away everything. And that can cause funky stuff to happen in your life and in your marriage. But listen to what Paul says in 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy 6, he says, As for those who are in the present age rich, and we are today, folks, by historical standards, most of us in this room are very, very rich. Command them not to be haughty. This is us. Don't be haughty. Or to get set, set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but rather on God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Back then, I want to say, have Paul say, tell the rich not to be rich. Give it all away. Here, Paul, he doesn't say that. He says, for their enjoyment. And they're to do good, and they're to be rich in good works, and generous, and ready to share, thus storing up for themselves treasures of, of good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of the life that really is life. Okay, so follow this. If you're rich, most of us are by historic standards. Don't find your life in that. Don't put your trust in that. And that's a per perpetual temptation. There's kind of a gravity to money where the more you have it, it, it can weigh you down and the temptation gets greater and greater to start finding your security and your well-being in that. It's a constant temptation. We've got to be aware of it. Paul says, no, don't, don't go down that route. Rather, you be outrageously generous in giving away and sharing and in the work of God. Put all your trust in God. And having all your trust in God means you don't have it in stuff that frees you to now share your stuff. So that's what Paul's saying here. Share your stuff. But he says you can enjoy it. And see, here's the thing. I think God would love everybody on the planet to be enjoying all of his blessings. That was his original design. He would love to bless everybody. He's not out there saying, eating, beating, mining, mo, who gets blessed and who doesn't. But see, this world that God created has fallen into this war zone. Uh, it's a spiritual war zone where every decision made by angels and human beings affects what comes to pass to some degree. And in the fog of this war that we're presently in, it just is the case that some people are randomly born in regions where there's blessings available and other people are born in regions where the material blessings aren't so available. And some are born in free circumstances and some are born in oppressive circumstances. And I had to learn that I'm not God and I can't fix that. And me trying to feel guilty about everything that I have that someone else doesn't have isn't going to help matters at all. It might make it actually worse because you opt out of the economy and you're not going to buy anything. Well, what, there's a lot of people over some other countries that are employed by making you stuff and they depend on you buying it. We're not called to try to make the world an absolutely fair place. What we're called is to be faithful wherever we're at. Wherever God plants you, wherever you show up to be faithful in what God has given you. And look at the opportunities for what God has given you. And look at the get-tos that you get to give because of the opportunities that have been given to you. The one thing in the crazy world we live in that we need to be doing, that we're called to do and that we're empowered to do, is to take all of our blessings, whatever you have, all of your whatever advantages you have, whatever resources you have, whatever bank account, whatever possessions, quote-unquote, you have, and to submit them all to God and say they are yours. Uh, and then just follow his, follow his lead. And when he says, I want you to enjoy the, this, then enjoy that. And don't feel guilty about it. No, the world's not a fair place. You can't fix that. Enjoy that. But then everything else, you say, Lord, it's your discretionary spending. In fact, all of it's his discretionary spending. Uh, we just follow his leading on what we're supposed to keep and what we're supposed to give away. So close your eyes for one, one, one minute here. And I just want to lead you in a little exercise that I think it would be good to do very often because... 
We so easily grab onto stuff. Right now, close your eyes, and if it helps, open up your palms. I find this helpful. It's just our bodies and our spirits are interconnected, and, and expressions with the body enhance things that are going on in the spirit. And so with open hands, imagine right now your place of dwelling, a house or apartment, or maybe it's a tent, wherever it is. Remind yourself, God allows you to enjoy it, enjoy it, but it's not yours. And your mode of transportation, whatever that may be, imagine it, envision it, and say to yourself, it's not mine, it's yours. Turn it over to him. And your bank account, it's not mine, it's yours. Release it to him. And the clothes that you wear and the food that you eat, it's, you can enjoy it, but it's not yours. Let it go. Turn it over to him. Your health, your mind, your aptitudes, your talents, your reputation, your character, the way people look at you, it's not yours. It belongs to him. All of you belongs to him. Surrender it. Release it. And even your loved ones, they're given to you on loan from God. Enjoy them. Love them. Pour yourselves off for them, but you can't cling to them. They're not yours. Surrender them to God. Holy Spirit helps to live as surrendered disciples who cling to nothing except for you. <laughs> who cling to nothing except for you. You are our life, our worth, our worth, our source. We look to you for all that is most fundamentally needed in our life. We get our life from you, Lord, and we let go. Thank you, Lord, for all the blessings you give us. Thank you, Lord, for giving us the opportunity and the privilege and the get-to of serving others with us. Help us, Lord, to always be faithful in that, dancing with you in your self-sacrificial love to manifest your character to this world that so desperately needs you. In Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, amen. amen. Uh, you can stand up, and if you're here this morning and have any need that could use prayer, please come up here. Uh, our prayer teams would love to pray with you. And if you're here this morning and are not a surrendered follower of Jesus but are interested in finding out more about that, come up here and talk to these folks. They'd love to explain that to you. As we leave here, let's do it as a people who are totally surrendered to him, clinging to nothing. If you're in agreement, say amen. 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 Go out love your neighbors.